one of the like huge, huge steps, mammoth step back then was to hire the first employee. I still remember that. So he had five children. And, uh, and we had this opportunity. I felt fairly confident I could keep him employed continually, but I felt, you know, that he was, he was going to quit his job, depend on me. And that, that is a huge, huge responsibility to take that step. So that's a big step from there. Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Richard Allenbach, has been running his engineering firm for more than 30 years. He's built a team of over 70 people. And in this conversation, we talk about the origins of the company, what he's learned about the different growth stages of a business, how to sell progressively bigger deals, and a whole lot more. Lots of timeless lessons, lots of wisdom. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Here is my conversation with Richard Allenbach. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Well, Richard, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you. I'm excited too. Thanks for uh, allowing me to do this. So before we kind of get into unpacking all sorts of lessons and stories that you have okay. from building a company uh, for almost 30 years now, let's just start off with uh, what is a RPA currently, the scale, the scope, the kind of focuses of the, the business that you're running? Yeah, so I think we have, uh, we're in a pretty strong hiring mode. We have between 75 and 80 folks in the company. We're distributed through a couple different offices. The scope of the original aspect of the company was we focused on engineering, we'll say, in the, in the geographic region around Philadelphia, two, 300 miles. But we've grown now to the point we're now in the, in the designing a, an entire plan for Taiwan. So, so, we, so we kind of expanded our geographical presence uh, across the United States and, and some international, not a lot, but so that's, we kind of define who we are. And when did it become, I don't want to say easy, but maybe possible to uh, not be so bounded by geography? Because you can imagine in a, in a kind of analog world, there was some degree you kind of had to be proximate in order to get the job done. Yeah, yes. Wow. Uh, so I, th- I think we threw out the, uh, my uh, history in, in the company. Obviously, the world uh, changed drastically, yeah. as, as you're describing. So earlier, to, uh, to expand geographically, it pretty much was driven by our clients. So maybe we had a major client in the Philadelphia region who had an office in Minnesota or Florida. So that, that pulled us to those geographic regions. And as very well, the question is very accurate, back then, data and intellectual capital communication between remote locations was much more difficult, totally different than what it is now. So uh, I think that in time, we began step by step to get better at that, but uh, I really think it really catapulted in the last five years and being able to do that and to have it accepted by everyone as just day to day one of the mill activity. And and partially that's I'm guessing different workspace softwares where the collaboration's even possible across not only geographies but time zones. Yeah. So I yeah. So now I think about it, the, the mechanics of it before it. it, it Obviously, when we first started, we were just going into, believe it or not, desktop computing, et cetera, and, yeah. uh, and the internet. Uh, but uh, it, so very quickly, there was data could be 
accumulated and and transferred but it was you know you know much much slower much more difficult and uh, and not instantaneous so eventually that we, we were doing that and then i think that the barrier to that still was from the human aspect people felt only comfortable felt most comfortable working with people they could see and be across the table from right and if, even if we would migrate to a new city or have a new client that was a different city the first question they would say let's take pittsburgh for instance when we first uh opened an office here in western pennsylvania and i tried to to market pittsburgh the first question out of every client's mouth was, well, how many people do you have in the Pittsburgh office? And we're like, well, that doesn't really matter so much because we can communicate, we're working collaboratively, but that, that barrier was huge. That barrier, I think, is pretty much blown away right now. Not entirely, yeah. but, but a great deal of that is, is blown away. So going all the way back to 1989, the founding of the company. Sure. What was the catalyst there, either either an opportunity that you saw or what propelled you? Because, uh, you know, in the spectrum of, of kind of careers out there, competent engineers yeah. are pretty high on the totem pole in terms of job security, generally. Maybe maybe that's a unfair assessment. but from, No, that was pretty, that's, that's, that's a pretty fair assessment. So, so I think that also potentially leads to, I don't want to say not having a risk appetite, but the kind of risk calculus changes versus, say, uh, a really kind of capable salesperson who there's like this wide variance of, well, I'm creating so much value for my company or I'm not creating value for my company. And there's very little kind of in the, the middle region where it's like, I'm just going to stick around. Uh, uh, great question. And, and I think the answer to this question transcends uh, well beyond just engineering profession, right. almost any sort of business. <clears throat> so I, th I think if I think back, I, I grew up relatively poor. I mean, not, not, I mean, it was like lower middle class, but it was really pretty, pretty, pretty humble beginnings. And I think way back then, I noticed, gee, people seem to be do okay and felt very happy and comfortable own their own businesses, you know, whatever it was. Yep. It's just like, wow, this was, I think I'd like to do that someday. I always thought that was kind of a goal. Okay, so now I go into engineering and, and I just, I, some people, I just think I've been blessed. Some people have a uh, propensity for We'll call socialization. They they like people. Generally enjoy people. Like the interaction with folks as well as whatever they're good at. Whether they're a carpenter, an engineer, or a computer software uh, engineer. So I think that was always in, inherent to me. So now I go into my career and I'm working as an engineer. And I started here in Alcoa. I eventually went to uh, Gilbert Commonwealth. It was a large engineering consulting firm headquartered back in eastern Pennsylvania. And I, and I sort of learned a lot. I had the great opportunity to learn a lot. And that was uh, when uh, the power, electrification of the country, the power industry began to decline, and they began to struggle a little bit. And I realized that, gee, uh, I was somewhat creating my own success. You know, I was able to win new clients. I was doing the work. I was, I was participating in all that. Yet I was constrained by this large organization which was trying to find itself. I went and uh, with a couple of my uh, buddies, we were able to get our MBAs at night. So I, you know, I learned, went to school at nighttime, and uh, and that gave me, I think, some more, uh, some some better uh, skills and experience necessary to start a business. So I was armed with that, armed with the engineering, and then I just decided, <clears throat> I'm just taking that leap of faith. I'm going to go do it on my own. Is what kind of. So I just felt. So the buddies it. that went to the MBA, was that more just like the accountability and the like, hey, there's someone in this with me? Or were they also involved in like, hey, we're all trying to start a business. We're all trying to get yeah, going. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, no, it was, I think it was, I think back in the, this was uh, 
I'll say in the 80s, <clears throat> which this probably seems ancient history to <clears throat> probably most of the people viewing this, but for, for me it was like, uh, it was not that, that long ago. There, there was a trend throughout the United States for uh, corporate leaders to be like engineers with an MBA or some other degree with an MBA. There was a, there was a high, you know, a high uh, 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 value on folks who, who began to have MBA backgrounds. And that, I think, is also was born of the fact of suddenly uh, PC computing, suddenly data a analysts, analytics being able done on a desktop added to the ability for like regression analysis and all these things that are done in business planning. So MBAs were valued. So we were all kind of jumped on that bandwagon. However, for me, it was like, it, was, it wasn't an accident. In my mind, I thought, I, I think it's going to be very helpful for the moment I decide to take that leap. So Got that's it. how it So went. you had that vision for a while. That was like, that you, you were seeing, you know, from a kid you're saying you saw the business owners as kind of an aspirational lifestyle. Yeah. And then even early stage as an engineer, you're like, okay, I need to make sure that I have the tools on my tool belt to be yeah. able to right. increase my, you know, de-risk or increase my likelihood of success. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so one of the things about um, agencies generally or, or professional services okay. is that, you know, in, in the spectrum of entrepreneurial ventures, yeah. there is an ease, a, a, I'm not saying it's easy, but easier to get the thing off the ground without a substantial capital upfront cost right. because of the fact that fundamentally the business is about the deployment of man and man hours. Right, right. And so in those early stages, like, did you need much capital to get off the ground? What was your strategy there? And, and what was the kind of initial, you know, momentum? Yeah. So, so the, I, it was a life change at that point. I'll share. I was, I went through a divorce and I had two children. So money was really scarce. Right. And uh, but all for the reasons that you mentioned, to start up a business in uh, in, uh, in professional services doesn't take a lot of capital, but it takes some basic capital to survive. Right. Run. And so the, my story, it, it, I, I, uh, I, I sat down, I wrote the business plan. Actually, I, I, I was actually working for at my previous employer for the Detroit tank plant. It was a government, they built M1 tanks in there. And I was fortunately at a position, I was flying this corporate jet back and forth. I was able to do that. And so I, I wrote the business plan in that jet. And, and basically what I, what, I, what I figured out, what could I basically live on, like money for the year? And I thought, okay, that's basically what I need. And I started to plan for that. All I needed to do was make that, earn that kind of money, and then yeah. grew it from there. So, but I realized there was risk there. I asked a friend of mine, I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. He had already started his own business. I said, could you fund me? You know, this amount of money, like, you know, which was the basic amount of money. I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was $30,000. I thought I could live on $30,000 for a year. If I, could you lend that to me? Should I need that to, for that first year of getting started? He said yes. Yeah. And so he gave me the, of course, he didn't write a check to me for 30000 He wrote a check for five. That's all I ever borrowed and paid him back and quickly that was that was that was off and running so for that point on beautiful yeah. so getting into the kind of momentum and, and, and the build to now where you guys are uh nearly 80 team members can you talk about the the unlocks or the you know the stair steps up of bigger deals so 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 in the early days you're probably selling yeah. um you know maybe maybe your hours and maybe yours and like one other person's right, hours right, right. but at some point you got like the first step up was like oh this is different we're we're flying in a different altitude yeah so i, I well, anyone in this who's 
takes a similar path to starting their own business. One of the like, huge, huge steps, mammoth step, back then was to hire the first employee. I still remember that. So I had some work going on, and I, I'll never, I won't mention his name. His first name is Terry. He had five children. And, uh, and we had this opportunity. I felt fairly confident I could keep him employed continually, but I felt, you know, that he was, he was going to quit his job, depend on me. And that, that is a huge, huge responsibility when you take that step. So that's a big step from there. So then, then each time you make that step, adding another employee, it becomes easier and easier until maybe when you get above 20, 25, then it becomes okay. It, it, it's kind of just basic math at that point right, of right, like, yeah, hey, we've yeah, got yeah, yeah, you know, whatever right. leading revenues. And, it, and you've, you've grown some history, you know, a couple of years. So, you, you, you know, you, you, well, you think false, incorrectly that, well, okay, I've got it made now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other thing I'll say, whoever's listening to this. The, the, one of the things I think just was so uh, paramount in my thought process, even, even as you describe, I, I sort of saw the steps. Well, when I have this many people, then it's going to be easy. Then when I have this many people, then it's going to be easy. And what I've come to realize, it's never easy. It's just the problems are different. Well, it's just never easy. You just always have to pay attention. There's never a coasting mode that you can really sustain. Right, because you, you sell a bigger deal. There's more responsibility exactly. that comes with the that. The risk and is greater and greater. More and more people are involved. So the the, the uh, but but I think you do get used to dealing with it. But in that spirit, I want to stick on the on okay. the on the bigger deal size concept. There's uh, one of my favorite thinkers, okay. internet personalities, is a guy named Naval, and okay. Naval uh, says that if I only uh, went for the jobs that I was qualified for, yeah. that I was completely qualified for, right, right. I would still be mopping floors. Exactly. exactly. And to, to some point, you, you kind of had like, okay, we're up to this competency level and we have to make some sort of jump where I know we can do 70, 80% of it, but the last 20%, I'm going to still have to figure out. Can you can you give me like one of those stories or one of those instances where something like that occurred? Or is that not really how you would think about it? Oh my God, is that, of course it is. So, so it starts off with, uh, well, it starts off in engineering. Starts off very early because even though I had a fairly huge, broad experience based on my career up to that point, if they were going to hire RPA, which was me at that time, to do to do the simplest project, I had no resume of that. You know, they're like, "Well, yeah, I know you working for this five thousand person firm, you could do it, but this is just you and whoever." Huh? See, so there's, there's a there's a big. Uh, uh, moment to convince them that you can do it and each step of the way you haven't done it before so every step forward is a little stretch of experience at for the beginning years to this point now I can at the point now we were like the plant in in Taiwan uh, it, it, each step is a, is a is a broader bigger step to take and uh, I think it's all fueled by what is it fueled, fueled by confidence, I think. And, and there's a delicate navigation, navigation between the right level of confidence or too much confidence. So I can, I think right now, because I'm still here, we, we were able to navigate that generally within those boundaries. So that's... Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, another thing that we'll talk about on this show and that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn to do myself okay. is to see more of the chessboard. So I would argue that one of the first first times you've articulated doing that is you were a kid and you saw the chessboard of the neighborhood or yes, the community right. yeah. of, wow, those business owners are the ones that yeah, I want right. to, right. you know, roll with. I want, I want to be like in some way, shape or form. And you, you continually through life just see more of the pieces there. For me, my wife and I just had uh, a child of seven months old. Okay. And so now I see the chessboard of parenting, right. not 
in its entirety, yeah. but I actually like conceive of it now in a way yeah. that before I was like, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't have, have any sort of yeah. appreciation for that. Um, it, 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 in that spirit, when you think now about the the context of your business and where optimism comes from and the opportunity for growth, yeah. you're referencing Taiwan. That's a geopolitical right. uh, yeah. football right yeah. now. Right. But even in the context of here in the United States, there's these infrastructure spending kind of bills and, and, and things that are happening all the way at like a federal level. Right, right. What, where are you training your eyes as it pertains to the opportunity for RPA's growth? Because it's, it's probably no longer just Philadelphia, right? Oh like you're, you've expanded yeah, yeah, the yeah. scope. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah. So it appears to me that what I'm going through right now is, is no longer what the size of the project is or where the geographical location is. Because we have grown in capability to pretty much handle almost anything that is out there now within within some reason we're at a 70 person firm we're not going to do a three billion dollar you know expansion somewhere it's just the the number of people that it takes to do that but there are a lot of they're not a lot of three billion dollar projects but there are a plethora of projects between the between those numbers so now now the the marketplace is vast of projects that we can go after my challenge now is is more i'll say people-oriented within the organization? Do I have the managerial structure and talent to execute the brand that we have continually and minimize the risk? So that's, that's the, it's more, more internal focused and, and how do we, how do I uh, provide a culture and, and a framework of people to su- continue our success? So that people aren't the constraint because if you had say yeah. 120 yeah. people of the caliber that RPA ex- right. expects yeah. to be, you could go take yeah. more of those. Right, exactly. So, and, and I do think, I mean, there was, I assume it's still the case, that there seemed to be, there seemed to be employee level plateaus. And I, I think I first described it as 20, then it was somewhat 50, then 100 seems to be a, a, like it was a key milestone because the, the, infrastru- the internal functional structure of the organization, they get proper communication control, et cetera. Then, then you have to begin to put a level in there, you know, yeah. of, of, of folks to, to do that. And that's a big step. And back during the day, 20 years ago, that was always a critical. A lot of companies would get to a certain size and they, they would stall there and either like fail or some would eventually get through and be successful. So so one of the things that I've heard, we're not at 20 yet, we're at six. Yeah. Um, but at 20, <laughs> you cross this threshold of you couldn't just take everyone out for happy hour. Right. So, right. so, so socially, <laughs> right. there, there's something that goes beyond the ability for everyone to just communicate one-to-one and you have yes. to set some yes. norms yes can you talk a little bit more about getting 20 to 50 yeah mm-hmm. well i think i my first thought is you said that about you cannot take everyone to happy hour i, I i'm going to challenge that okay. philosophically okay so i think i think what we have done in our organization is we've tried never to lose that connection even though there's 70 now obviously we can't be taking 70 people every day or every week because you also month. have satellite offices right, and there's right. just yeah. geographic but i think the i think the culture of the relationship of our folks to the organization feel we still feels like that still feels this there's a feeling of culture that when there's 20 people working together that that you can duplicate 
in some manner when there's when when there's a hundred or when there's seventy five right now. Yeah. And we're enjoy. We I just came off a one day strategic planning meeting of uh, seventeen of our people. We had actually had it at Penn State's camp, Berks campus, where we are. Uh, it was just told it was the, the single largest thing that came through there is is the culture of our organization so i feel very blessed right now we are doing what i, what I just said everyone feels feels connected and the culture is great so so i think the notion is that you need to change that culture at those steps at least what i believe now is is wrong you need to try and you need to try to duplicate it it has to be executed differently but you, you just keep trying to you try to execute it getting uh, slightly more technical. Can you actually talk about the structure of uh, an engineering firm with seventy plus people, just in terms of you know, if it's pods and teams yeah. and and how that works? Yeah. So it's a uh, it, it, most engineering companies, and I think some other professional services. It's kind of a matrix organization. So there are disciplines, as we call them, and, uh, of mechanical, electrical, structural, and that is uh, you know a group of folks, obviously the same degree, and produce the same focus, same type of work. However, we're, we're, we're executing projects to clients, and those projects will incorporate multiple disciplines simultaneously. So that's led by a project manager. So you might have a section that's, that's run by the head electrical engineer, but there's a project manager that's going to be pulling resources from, all, from their group and from multiple groups at the same time. So the day-to-day -day operations run that way. So how easy is it going into uh, an engineering project like that to know define, ascertain how much of those needs will be. So from our standpoint in a marketing context, yeah. we can kind of conceive of, okay, you know, here's the amount of videos that we're going to need. So we're going to need this much video editing. Right. We're, if there's going to be advertising, we're going to need someone to right. run this campaign, so on and so forth. It's it's relatively legible going in. It, how legible is that when in, when there's also like technical obstacles to be overcome? Yeah, it, uh, uh, not to, I, I think in engineering, because I know that, and, and I surmise that it's more difficult in engineering than some. Yeah. Because generally the project that we start that we are engaged in has a finite capital cost. Uh, they know they know what the outcome needs to be, yeah. but the path to get there is infinite with possibilities on how to get there. Right. So while so we have to then put our arms around that and 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 meet that goal, realizing that there no matter how hard we try, there are going to be obstacles that we couldn't conceive along that path. But over time and over experience, you get a feel for. What, what the level of resources are to do that. And we, uh, I'm sure you also, or many social of, uh, consulting services, it's all, man, it's all man hour driven. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we, we track it by man hours, we look at it by man hours. And I'll tell you, uh, so we, 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 we do a pretty good job of understanding that and tracking it continually. Yeah. Because that's one of the meta skills that as you get better, the business is going to be more effective right. because you actually have that capacity to project. We, we interviewed a office furniture wholesaler and he was talking about he can you know financially model out to yeah. 36 months what they would the kind yeah. of run rate that they should yeah. be on. Right. And that's one of the, that's one of the actual points of differentiation for a business like that that they can actually right. make those type of anticipatory. <laughs> Predictions. I, I can think back. It, it, this is not no longer my skill or what I'm involved in. But earlier on, 10, 15 years, a client would come to us and let's just say it's a, let's just say it's an office building or something. And we would do the engineering, the MEP. It's called MEP services. Wow, it's forty thousand square feet. You know, 
I don't need to know anything. I know what our fee ought to be. I know, you know, because just generally, even though every building is different, has unique circumstances, you begin to get a feel for what that should be. Got it. Yeah. Now it does. It it, it changes as we get more and more complex projects, but yes. So can you talk a little bit about differentiation? Because to some degree, if you if you fit into a bucket, like for us, in our yeah. case, we're a marketing firm. There's so many marketing firms out there. Right, there's right. so many law firms. There's so many, you know, when, yeah. when, when your actual service is relatively clearly defined, but the whole capacity to generate dif- differentiated profits, but also capacity to have differentiated rates of growth come down to actually being differentiated. Yeah, so you're striking a nerve with me. So I still remember, as I was going through that MBA many, many years ago, and my sort of major in my MBA was marketing, so there was a course called Strategic Market Differentiation. And it just was to the core. And I realized, I felt that that was so fundamental in a competitive marketplace to understand that, to find it to your best ability to compete, and, and you focus on that. And I think sometimes... Some some firms lose that perspective. They realize, well, I'm good at what I do, and I, you know, I'm a good engineer. And that's great. But as you as as you get stronger, their competition gets stronger. So why should why should anyone pick you over anyone else? And you need to. They're not going to know that inherently. You have to you have to you have to project that with some with some authority and some uh, sincerity. I think. But there's also in in conjunction with that. The wading into arenas where you don't have a hundred percent confidence yet in like exactly how the job will be done is also partially what unlocks us. So I was looking at, at your guys's pages, like the market sectors, you know, pharmaceutical, biologics, power, industrial manufacturing, yeah. uh, building systems, food and beverage. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just going to use pharmaceutical biologics as an example. Okay. If there's some bar for yeah. uh, a build associated with pharmaceuticals, yeah, yes, that has you know a, a real uh differentiated expertise having the ability to start to wade into that arena now separates you from all the folks that don't have right, any right. experience in, in any way shape or form and then the compounding of okay now we've done it two three four five times yeah. starts to make you a kind of preferred provider right right so the question on that is what what, what would you like so, so the question is how, like the, the conscious push as a go. leader into those types of spaces. Well, you said the magic word. That, that's, what I, that's how I was going to begin the response. And I think it starts with a conscious, a, a conscious decision. Gee, do I want to be in, in, in biologics? Do I want to be in gene therapy? You know, do I want to be you know, in any one of those things? So it starts with understanding that's, what I, that's, that's an area that I think or we think we ought to be focused on. And then, then, it, then it's just hard work. Then it, it, it's like, okay, we're in there, but we're we're not that experienced yet. Okay, who does have experience? You know, what what, what are the what are the stepping stones, uh, technically competence wise, that need to plug in in order to be able to do that? And you begin to, it just it, I'll call it, it becomes nibbling. You get a small project, you just touch the edge of that work, right? And you learn a little bit more, and you, and you keep gobbling to, you know, a little bit more complexity, a little bit more involvement, to pretty much you have all the knowledge base in order to do it. Once you, and then then you can look back to your, to your, to your prospective clients. Here's what we did in all these steps, and they think, oh, okay, you know, you did, they did, they did, they just they, my request to them. This is talking about us. It's just one little. Small incremental step beyond that, so okay, right? As opposed to, well, we've never, we've never performed this before, but they're good guys, so we'll give them a shot. That's, that doesn't, doesn't work. 
The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. To what ratio, and if, if this is hard to define, that's okay, are you the kind of lead engineers on a project versus subs within the context of one of those you know, $3 billion type of projects? I, I don't know that answer, but I, but I know where we where I believe we've operated and continue to try to be. It, it's seventy five percent we're the lead. We okay. like to be the lead. Yeah. Because when you're a sub, you, you're at the risk of the performance of the organization that you're dealing with, and right. you can't control that. And sometimes that doesn't doesn't work out, and you're like, I've done a great job, but our reputation is tarnished because these folks have not quite performed. I've kind of been blown away with how much of a consistent theme that has been with different firms that I've talked to. So oh, there's really? a, okay. um, I'm blanking on the, the one company down in uh, Fox Chapel. They make like the, the structures for Google. What, what's it? It's Nate. Uh, anyways, they were previously a, a marketing agency and would sometimes be subbed in. And they basically made a decision at like a couple years into their life cycle. Yeah. Like we're not doing that anymore. We, we have to ha- go direct to the right. client there. Right. right. And, you know, in our much more limited experiences, we've also seen it's just, it's more difficult, it's less fun, it's more painful yeah. when you're subbed through right. one of these other agencies. Right. And, you know, not only for potentially, you know, the, the, the reliability of coming back to that same client, but also just like your peace of mind, like you partially got into business to make money, you also partially got in because it's a life, like you want to you wanna work a certain way right. and live a certain lifestyle right. that is more enjoyable Right. When you're direct with that client, hence why you want to be the lead on exactly at least three quarters well of the time. Well said. Well said. Absolutely. And anything else, anything I missed there about that, that type of relationship or, or how you've come to maybe learn that lesson painfully? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly there. Yeah, there were several. So one aspect that we didn't touch on, that it's also a consideration for folks who are trying to make a decision of which direction they go or how long they stay in one or the other. One of the, one of the things that sort of lesson you, you learn, human nature just being what it is, so let's suppose you, you, have, a, you have a pretty good skill set. There's a larger organization that doesn't have that skill set, and so you're able to sub to them in order to supply, supply this larger project or capability to somebody else. And you think, this is great, you know? And so you're doing a great job, and, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're now selling to this client and subbing to you. Well, what do you think happens over a period of time, how they feel about that? Well, what do I need to pay RPA for that? We, now we learned all this. We'll just, yep. <laughs> just, we learned everything. We learned all their tricks and competencies. They trained us and said, well, thanks. It was great, but we don't need you anymore. And you're like, well, I thought we were friends. I thought we were having success together or whatever. And it's, it's not a personal thing, I think, for, the, for those companies. But I always I, I felt, learned the hard way, that that situation generally will go that route. That's why you want to kind of do it. Your, your own, on yeah. your own as much as you can. And, and make yourself into the linchpin so they, they need you. They You're need you, a, right, right. an important you try. part yes, of the chain. Exact, exactly, yes. That's good. Richard, we're flying through this. That You've, you've answered all my questions uh, okay. spectacularly well so far. So can you talk to me just a little bit about the recruiting and retention of talent in a field like engineering where folks have options and they do have that capacity to not only have job security but potentially, you know, be recruited out. I'm sure you've had to fight people off from recruiting some of your best men. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
I, I could probably, probably in a short sentence or two, tell you what I think is working and works for us right now. It sort of came to that. And it's also, uh, I'll dovetail that into just business. So a couple of months ago, I, I was, uh, I don't remember what the, what the decision was, but I, I was, and that wasn't necessarily on recruiting at that point, but it will dovetail right to answer your question. The decision was, I was perplexing, okay, go this way or that way, and it was a little difficult. I don't even remember what it was. But suddenly, I, it, this, I sort of had this epiphany. It's like, you know what? I recognized throughout my career, whenever I had a difficult decision about the business, if I made that decision with the, our employees' benefit as the foremost driving ingredient to the decision, it's always worked out great. Wow. And I thought, wow, I think I'm onto something here. Yeah. Right? So, so... In the recruiting and retention of employees, you just apply that to that. You know, it's not, you know, some, some people are like, well, you know, we only play our mechanical engineers, I don't know, whatever, $100,000, and they want 110 Well, whatever the deal is. It's like, it's more about how can I fulfill the aspirations and, and needs of our employees Within within a reasonable framework that 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 makes that makes sense and quite frankly if I'm recruiting well that's the other aspect if talented and we'll call it good that's hard to define that people that never becomes an overwhelming challenge because fairness and reasonableness are part of the equation and if that fairness and reasonableness is not part of their psyche then probably we don't want them either you know want them working for us and it seems like that also has the potential to compound in a way similar to the jobs where you get a couple in pharmaceuticals and that makes the the fourth pharmaceutical job easier than maybe the first one exactly in the same way if you have four talented and good uh engineers uh, in a group it's way easier to recruit in the fifth absolutely, in order absolutely. to join right. the team. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, Richard, this has been fantastic. I want to aim towards uh, wrapping up and asking our standard last questions. But I uh, wanted to first ask, is there anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you a chance to? There's probably a lot. You know, I have all these stories. And I, you know, I, I do like to tell stories, but uh, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, your questions and the ability to respond. There's nothing that comes to mind. Is there, one, is there one of your greatest hits that we didn't give you a chance yeah, to tell? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh, I, I I can't. I most of the greatest hits will probably be comeback uh, stories over great uh, great challenges. Okay, if you want to go to that, hit me one. Oh wow. Okay, so I went through. I made an acquisition of a company in North Jersey. In fact, you know, uh, 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 Dow Jones was one of our clients. We were in World Trade Center number three, directly across from the Twin Towers. In fact, our people were in that building. Very soon after, before everything was cleared, I mean, smoke was still coming up, and we have shots inside that picture because they had to quickly evaluate whether that building yeah. could stay up. But anyway, so I, I, I so I was operating in that in that framework, and uh, I'll just say, the 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 person I, I purchased it from was less than scrupulous, and it ended up. Uh, in, a, in a lawsuit and and just just about wiped us out that 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 acquisition, but I, I always tell everyone that uh, I have my MBA from St. Joe's University and a PhD in business. I won't mention this individual name, but from give me a PhD in business. So it was uh, it was at a point where it was right after. 9/11. So that that soon after that, that he pulled this move. So if things were pretty difficult, and I just sort of, I had to flatline the organization. I had every every single person report to me. It was like 
you know, constant. We were we were running on the ragged edge and, and truly on the ragged edge for quite a bit of time. But I think you just sort of stick to your stick to your values and stick to uh, integrity, and eventually that wins out. What um, what attracted you to making the acquisition, and what was perhaps a, a red or or some sort of colored flag that maybe should have you know now with hindsight you would have your nose. Uh, yeah, yeah. turned up but you didn't you didn't have enough experience yet to know yeah so uh what attracted you know every company or everyone who starts an organization does have a vision should have a vision about what they what they see this firm to be and i wanted uh, my vision now is for us to be the most successful engineering firm in the country and we're going to define the metrics by which we're going to define success but we, i believe we're on our way to be that uh but as far as successful uh, so the vision I had was to work for uh, you know top tier Fortune 500 clients, uh, and and uh, and in order to do that we needed multiple office presence, we needed multiple geographic presence, we need to look and feel and operate with a pretty strong uh, competency in many different arenas. This firm in New York, you know Dow Jones and and so and some of the other clients they had it was just a great little marriage to, to what we were doing. So they had the, the cli- client base that we thought was appropriate and was a great ad for us. So that, they were very attractive from that perspective. The end, there, there were some uh, account, we'll call financial issues, some balance sheet issues that even with my MBA, I'm like, I don't know, this does not seem right, right? Yeah. Okay, and uh, in this case, it was a large value of accounts receivables, right? And 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 his this trick was, well, I'm, I'm making up the numbers. So I don't remember what the numbers yeah. were. But let's suppose he wanted three million dollars for this firm, and so it meant that maybe we we, we would give him a million, and he would he would just keep two million dollars of the, those accounts receivables. So as those came in, he would just collect that, and that would pay off the rest of buying that company. I'm like, well, that's not a bad deal, yeah, but. That, but the fact that he had all those receivables, et cetera, was like, that's not good. I mean, for the, for the ratio of how it should look, that was way weighted to that side. And so I had, I had a very good law firm and a very good accounting firm as, you know, doing due diligence for me. And they said, well, you know, they, I, I even brought it up also. And they're, well, I'm the accounting firm. So, well, that's, you know, well, th- who cares about those? Let him just, if he collects them, he collects them. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Well, that, that was a red flag that really should have been explored a whole lot uh, deeper. So I would say if something doesn't look quite right on the balance sheet and a flag comes up, you really need to vet that extensively. I don't know if I should say this, but what he, he pulled a little move where I would bill him for that same client. That client would pay us. He would take that cash and say, oh, that was for my outstanding receivable. But he didn't tell me that. He made it look like he wasn't doing that till. It got really bad. So anyway, so that, that that's I don't know if you want to put any of this in, but that that is that story. Well, you know, I um I cite this often, and and Hannah probably already knows what I'm about to say here. But I was at this breakfast very early, and there was this uh, guy. I, I wish I could remember who it was that was actually speaking, but he was um a a, a billionaire and like fantastically successful, and people were ask, always asking him for like what to do, like what's what's your yeah. best advice, and he goes. Find the right business partner the first time, you're golden. Right. So it's so it's really this lens of like the the right people that you get into business with right. from a from a quality from a value uh, standpoint uh, is such 
and unlock over the long right. uh, lever yeah. in which most of us are going to get to play this game. Yeah. And and you know the 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 unscrupulousness of some people out there, unfortunately, is is uh, things that you have to learn to to yeah. be mindful towards. So yeah. um, that's a valuable lesson. Thank you for sharing that right. with us. Right. Okay. Richard, this has been fantastic. I want to make sure that people can check out RPA, all the stuff that you guys are up to. What digital coordinates would you want us to direct people towards? Well, I, th- I think that because I'm uh, not that uh, adept at, at, at all that aspect of it, I would just say go to our webpage. And so we have, we have all avenues to, to reach us from that. I mean, I'm sure we're on Instagram and, uh, uh, and Facebook, but probably go to our webpage first and you can connect to any of those, those social Beautiful. Media. We're, we're going to link to that in the show notes for this episode. Uh, it's in the app where you're probably listening to this right now or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. Okay. But before I let you go, Richard, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Oh, okay. Uh, all I can say is we're, we're enjoying some, uh, the company's enjoying some pretty decent success in these times right now. And so, and we've reached a culture that's in pretty strong alignment coming off that strategic planning meeting. So, so coming away from that, I was thinking, well, what do I do? What can I do to, uh, to protect it, to keep that trajectory going the same way that it's going? And so the, I, I, I circled back the day afterwards and said, you know, here's what I, here's with a mantra, which I think we're going to grab onto, and that is humility first and integrity. We'll stick to those, and that's how we'll move forward. So I throw that to everybody else. Keep those attributes, and I think you'll do great. One, I've, I, I love that. And one of the little things that I have to remind myself every once in a while is you either actively humble yourself or someone's going to do it exactly. for you. So it's exactly. better, it's better to start with that. Control it yourself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Richard, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron. We just went deep with Richard Allenbach. Hope everyone there has a fantastic day. Hey, thanks for listening to the end of my interview with Richard. If you enjoyed it, I am certain that you will also enjoy our recent past interview with Steve Muck. He talks about acquiring a $7 million construction company and building it into a multi-hundred million dollar construction giant. Lots of good stuff in there. Lots of wisdom about acquiring companies, building them, relationships with labor. Go check it out. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.